You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you're joining us again this week. Um, If you're listening to us, you're listening to what I believe is the best uh, Bible study, Bible conversation podcast that's available. Uh, So I'd encourage you to stay with us and listen a little bit longer to hear what we have to say, and then um, to to go back and to listen to some of our other episodes. So uh, please, if you have not done so already, uh, subscribe. And then we're asking, of course, all of our routine listeners, if you will, please share uh, about the Bonfire Podcast. Tell people you work with. Tell people in your family to to give us a try um, and to see if uh, we can be a blessing to them as well. And as always, we want to remind you that you can uh, reach out to us and connect with us on multiple ways. Uh, You can send us an email at bonefireministries at gmail.com. You can also uh, connect with us on our Facebook page. Uh, You'll find that at Bonefire Ministries uh, Facebook page. And again, we'd love to be able to do some uh, shouts from uh, some, some listeners who are sending us emails. Uh, or connecting with us on Facebook, so uh, feel free to do that. Well, uh, Dad, we are still in our Coming King, the Lion of Judah uh, series, and um, this series has been focused in on the end times and looking at uh, the events that are going to occur as we get to the end of age and the return of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're we're now about uh, four or five sessions in, and so far uh, we've uh, compared uh, the end times to a football game. Right. And uh, in our podcast, we've talked about uh, the pregame activities, mm-hmm. and that was uh, really the action of, of Israel becoming a nation, and and the revision of the the Roman Empire with the EU coming to, to formation uh, many years ago. We we talked about the whistle blow, the start of the game. And that was the rapture of the church. Mm-hmm. And then we went into uh, the kickoff, which was the signing of the peace treaty between the Antichrist and, and Israel. Um, and then we went into the first half, which we talked about the the seven seals, or really the first six seals. And then the last episode was really about the halftime. And that was the breaking of the peace treaty uh, by the Antichrist. And then ultimately, um, the abomination of desolation, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically where the Antichrist uh, has the whole world turn to him and to worship him. And so as we get into uh, today's uh, episode, we're going to be transitioning into to the second half uh, mm-hmm. of, of the football game, if you will. And so we'll be looking at the third and fourth, fourth quarters, really be focused in on the third quarter uh, today. And um, for today's episode, the the second half, I've really uh, deemed, at least for this episode, we're going to be talking about the tribulation trademark and trumpets, uh, that being the seven trumpets that are referenced in Revelation. And so, you know, as we start our study today, we will start with the uh, tribulation trademark. Now, um, as t- in terms of the tribulation trademark, you know, throughout time, uh, all of history, um, ruling powers have usually had some type of identifying mark or insignia. Uh, Nazi Germany had the swastika. The Soviet Union had the hammer and sickle. Uh, you know, the idea itself goes back to early history. Babylon, the first Gentile power, uh, was symbolized with uh, a lion with eagle, uh, eagle's wings. And the uh, empire of the Medes and the Persians was represented by a bear rising up with ribs in his teeth. And we see in Revelations chapter 13 that the Antichrist is going to have his own trademark. Now, this trademark uh, that we're referring to here is uh, better known as the mark of the beast. Now, Dad, I would go on a limb here and say that uh, the mark of the beast is probably one of the most notable things uh, from the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. You know, Christians and even non-Christians alike, 
recognize the mark of the beast, or particularly the number, right? That's 666. Right. Um, and it has been the focal point of more rhetoric, more ridicule, more argumentation and speculation than probably any other thing in the Bible. That's right. Um, and it's just amazing how, how, how that is the case. And, you know, even, again, both Christians and non-Christians, they, they know it. They, they uh, either have formed an opinion about it, and some mm-hmm. people have become very um, suspicious uh, of the number. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. Um, I know it's happened to me, and I've seen it happen in, in, to other people. Uh, you know, to be in a store, you're in a, in a, in a line uh, to get ready to check out, and as you're checking out, the total comes up to be $6.66. Or, That's right. Or, or something like that. And and most of the time, you see someone look at the number, they kind of make a grimace, and then they like grab a stick of gum or something like that, and they say, add that to it. <laughs> because <laughs> That's right. They, because they want to avoid the, the, the 666 number. I don't it, like that number either. Yeah, I know. It, it definitely is something that I've had that happen to me, and it pops up, and I'm like, oh, let's see what else I can throw on here uh, just to get away from it. So it's it's interesting that that is so prevalent. And again, that's that's across both Christians and non-Christians, even people that don't even have a really clue what the, the plan God has laid out for the end of time. They seem to know about this number. That's and, right. Uh, and unfortunately, there's those on the, the non-Christian side uh, that have adopted the number and, and, and have made it a, a focal point, particularly Satanist. Um, you've seen it very heavy in like rock and roll. Uh, a lot of times uh, they want to put 666 on their T-shirts and their albums and all of this stuff. And, and so uh, just, a, again, kind of a polarizing but very well-visualized uh, um, uh, mark that we're going to be talking about here. But, you know, although there's a, a lot of uh, superstition and speculation and even rumors that may go around about the Mark of the Beast, I want us to really focus in today on what the Bible says about the Mark of the Beast. And so uh, we're going to be looking uh, today in Revelations chapter 13, uh, verses uh, 16 through 18 will be where we start our conversation today, and then we'll be bouncing around through the rest of Revelation for the dur- duration of our podcast. But I'll read that to you. If you've got your Bible, read along with us. It says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads. And no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So that's where 666 comes from. It's right there in, in Revelation chapter 13 is where we find that. Um, and so as we look at this scripture data, I, a couple of things came to my mind, and, and I just want to walk through this with our, with our listeners. Is First, I saw that there was a, the purpose of the mark, right, that we need to look at. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the mark really serves two purposes that we learn in, in these um, scriptures. First is loyalty and devotion. Mm-hmm. You know, the mark of the beast is, is going to be basically a vehicle um, that the uh, false prophet uses to uh, get people to declare their allegiance to the Antichrist or to Jesus Christ. All people will be polarized into two camps. There's right. no sitting on the fence here. You're going to have to make a choice. You can't say that um, I'm not picking, I'm not choosing. Um, all classes of society, it says, will be forced to take sides. And again, it'll be impossible to have this uh, in in decision or, or not to choose. And ultimately, if you choose not to take the mark, you're going to die. And we see that really in, in the verse prior to this, where it talks about everyone has to worship the beast or to be killed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there may be some that are able to skirt around it and and not. But when you think about what's going to happen with the mark of the beast and what we're getting ready to talk about in terms of being able to buy and sell, if you can't mm-hmm. get your necessities, then ultimately you're probably going to end up dying anyway. Right. And so really, it's a life or death decision um, is what's going to be put to to everyone at that point in time. Mm-hmm. 
um, the second thing that I saw there is um, is it's for commercial transaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it clearly says that you have to have the mark of the beast in order to be able to buy or to sell. And so uh, this has been the dream of every tyrant from uh, from history. Right. Uh, they've all wanted to have so much control that they're able to control exactly what their subjects are able to, to buy or sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only problem is many have tried, but no one has actually been able to do it because there's always been a way for a small number to get around that. The black market. That's right. There, there's always been this way for, for someone to skirt around it. However, I strongly believe that the future Antichrist will perfect such practice with the aid of modern technology. And I'll touch on that in just a, a little bit mm-hmm. in just a moment. So we see there, there are two folds. Uh, the purpose of the mark is one, to show loyalty and devotion. Again, it's going to be there to, to state whether you're on the side of Antichrist or Christ, um, or and it's going to be there for the, the purchase of goods and services right. um, at that time. Now, the other thing that we see in these verses is, of course, the the number of the mark. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is probably uh, no other number in history or in, in biblical study has captivated the minds of both Christians and non-Christians like 666. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, even, as I said in our introduction, even those that have no clue about Revelation and kind of the events that unfold mm-hmm. at the end of time uh, seem to know the significance of this uh, this number. Now, Dad, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have an idea that our podcast audience are going to expect us to tell them what the number 666 means. Yeah. But but we must confess, we, we don't know. Right. right? And and, and for that matter, nobody knows exactly what the, the nature of 666 is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, throughout time, many have tried to decode the number. And um, in uh, biblical times, many times that uh, there was numbers associated with the Hebrew alphabet, right? Right. And so they would <clears throat> try to convert the 666 <clears throat> over to an alpha character so that they could spell out the name. And right. throughout time, people have tried this, and um, at one point, someone was able to make the, the number come up to equal Hitler. And another mm-hmm. time, um, I saw where someone had the number to equal Nero, which was one of the, the Roman emperors um, uh, from early on. And so uh, it, it has some type of significance. It has some type of representation, mm-hmm. but it's exact representation that we, we don't, don't know. Right. But there's a couple <clears throat> things that we do know, and, and this is probably about the best that we can do in terms of explaining what 666 actually means or what it represents. And that's we know that that six uh, represents man. He says right. it's the number of man, and man was created on the sixth day. Mm-hmm. And man is commanded to work for six days and to rest on the seventh. And we know that uh, six is short of the number of perfection or completion. Right. right? So seven is and throughout the Bible has been used for that number of completion or, or perfection. And so it's possible that this is a reference to uh, the fact that the Antichrist is obviously going to be a, a cheap or imperfect imitation of Christ, mm-hmm. falling short of perfection. Um, it could also mean that he's the ultimate opposition to Christ, which we obviously know that that's probably the case. But we don't exactly know what 666 stands for. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, there's three sixes. And so that could obviously stand for the satanic trinity, uh, that of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And so, you know, Satan and is 666, God's 777, because uh, there is the real trinity, that of the Heavenly Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's, that's exactly right. So we have this 666, and we know it's it's the, the number of the beast, and, 
and believe that maybe that in and of itself is the mark or somehow is going to be used in the mark. And, right. and so um, I would just encourage everyone who's listening to be wary when someone comes to you and says they know what 666 is. That's right. There are a couple other applications I heard about 666 throughout time. I, I think many people reference, um, you know, the World Wide Web. When we start um, searching something on, on the Internet, typically you start with www. And then the web address to uh, that website that you want to go to. Right. Um, well, in computer language, www equals six six six. And so I've heard people say, "Well, it's the internet." Um, well, <clears throat> maybe I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that um, oftentimes gets quoted with six 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 is the fact that within uh, UPCs or barcodes that are on uh, even like a bottle of water, yeah, like I was just here, noticing that yeah. right here that there is uh, there are check digits in this barcode, and those check digits typically are sixes. And so yeah, within inside that barcode, there's a 666 mm-hmm. sequence inside there. And so that's also been uh, proposed. And and again, we can only say that, well, maybe, uh, prob- probably not likely uh, that those are, are related. Um, it's just coincidence. But it just it goes to show you that the, uh, the strange lengths that man will go to try and understand exactly what this number is. That's right. So the next thing I want to see when we uh, talk about when we talk about the mark is the application of the mark. So I know that many of our listeners are, are going to ask, you know, so so what will the mark be? What what is it going to look like? And uh, you know, is is it a credit card? Is it a, is it a computer chip? Is it a barcode? Um, h- how will this be, um, you know, applied? And how how will it be uh, used? And no one can say exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what form the the mark of the beast will take. But the Bible is very clear that the mark will be on the forehead or on the right hand. Now, right. I believe that that mark will be something that's visible. I believe that it's something that you could probably tell that way that anybody would see your allegiance is for the beast or not, right? Right. And so I feel like it's going to be some type of visual mark that you can see uh, there that's going to denote, again, the de- devotion or ownership uh, of that of the recipient. You know, the, the mark of the beast has to be probably some type of brand um, that is similar to what was given to soldiers or slaves in the temple um, devotees in John's day. So if you think about this, this is John who's writing it. And so John's writing, obviously, from his worldview of what he knows. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it could be that the mark of the beast is, is again, similar to the, the tattoos that you saw uh, of soldiers and of uh, slaves and of the, the re- religious um, uh goers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, in Asia Minor, the devotees to uh, pagan religions, they would tattoo an emblem of the god that they worshipped on their body. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that John probably was familiar with, the seeing these marks on people's body, uh, making it known to which god that they serve. Mm-hmm. Likewise, uh, slaves in John's time would receive a brand, and that brand would be um, the mark of the owner or the name of the owner that would be branded into the slave. And so mm-hmm. it's very possible that, again, this will be a visible mark to denote ownership and allegiance uh, to the Antichrist. Now, I believe that the mark, again, will be will be physical, but I do believe it's going to be in combination with technology. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said earlier, I think it will be technology that allows the Antichrist to accomplish what, what no one else has been able to accomplish before. Mm-hmm. Because, again, as we talked about, there was always this way of skirting around uh, the rules when a you know a Roman dictator or whoever it was said you know everyone's going to use my currency or I'm going to tell who can buy or who can sell. There was no way to control that, right? Because think of how big the world is, how much space. I mean, it just there's so many loopholes and and like you said, the black market to get around that. Mm-hmm. However, with technology the way that it's becoming today, you can see 
kind of it coming that it, it would be very easy for there to be a central control right. and for something to be completely shut off or to be allowed. You know, Dad, do you know much about uh, the cashless society? Uh, yes, I've heard a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for over a, a decade now, um, there have been people claiming that we need to move to a cashless society. And for those of you who are not familiar with the topic, basically it's we need to abandon all forms of paper money uh, and coinage. Um, that would include checks and, and of course, your, your cash money in, in your wallet or your, your purse, and then, of course, the coins in your pocket, mm-hmm. and move to a, a digital currency mm-hmm. um, and, and make everything to be a digital transaction. And, right. you know, we've seen, again, that's been called for for 10 years. And what we're seeing now is we're moving in a rapid pace toward that, right, mm-hmm. with the growth of credit cards, uh, debit cards, uh, and, and the electronic pays like Apple Pay and Google Pay. Uh, we have seen cash transactions drop dramatically across the globe as everyone begins to adopt these technologies. You know, Dad, I found it interesting as I was kind of studying and, and, and brushing up on this uh, cashless society because I really feel like this is this is the way the Antichrist get a foot in to be able to uh, to control everything. Um, it's interesting that Sweden has actually came out and said that they are going to be a cashless society by 2023. Uh, yeah. And they are now down to about 16% of their total transactions um, are cash. Mm-hmm. 16%. That means that they've got greater than you know uh, 80% uh, that, are, that are happening in a digital format. And so right. they feel like over the course of the next few years, uh, they will make it to the point of being a true cashless uh, society. And there are many other countries that are on, on their heels. Now, Probably the most telling sign that we're moving uh, toward a uh, cashless society. Well, one is this past year. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure all of our listeners have experienced the fact that cash has become one of those things that you didn't want to use, right? Because of touch contamination. That's and right. You you saw a whole bunch of uh, retailers and restaurants saying, we're not accepting cash. We're only going to do things by an electronic debit card or credit card or some type of touchless pay. That's right. And so the pandemic has really just put this into overdrive right. as we're moving toward the, the, the cashless society. Dad, I know you had an experience <laughs> with that recently. You want to share with our listeners? That's that's right. Yeah, I went into a, a little fast food restaurant in Spartanburg, and I was standing there waiting for the lady to come and take my order, and she never came up. And I thought, well, my goodness, there's several of you uh, people working back there in the kitchen. It looked like someone would, would man the cash register. And finally, a lady came up, and she said, sir, if, uh, uh, do you want to place an order? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, you have to use the kiosk. I said, okay. And so I walked over to the kiosk. They had two big ones. And there was a man there, and he'd been standing there for a while, like he's trying to figure the thing out. And so I looked at that big, you know, glass screen on the kiosk, and I thought, you know, with this pandemic, all those germy fingers has touched. I'm not about to touch that. And then I looked, how would I, I pay? I thought, well, I could pay with cash because, you know, I'm, I'm of the age I carry uh, just enough cash to get by during the week, you know, around <laughs> with me. And so I looked, and I thought, I don't see anywhere to put paper money in or coins in. I was going to have to use a debit card. I said, I am not fooling with that. I got in my car. I drove around in the drive-thru, and she took my cash. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the moral of the lesson is, listeners, that there will not be a cashless society as long as Reggie Parker's alive. That's right. <laughs> so he will be the, the lone uh, holdout there when it comes yep. to the cashless society. But it is amazing to see uh, just the speed of adoption that's occurring. And again, the pandemic kind of bringing that 
that about. You and I were talking during kind of the height of the pandemic about so many things, you know, whether it be our liberties that were being kind of compromised or, or the cashless systems. We talked about it seemed like prophetically we jumped like 50 years right. in a matter of just a matter of a few months mm-hmm. uh, because of the pandemic. And and that's really the case. We're on a, a more aggressive uh, slope than we ever have been is moving toward that. The next thing that I see uh, that's a telling sign that we're moving toward this cashless society, which would be easy to control, um, is the fact of a blockchain. Have you ever heard of blockchain, Dan? Huh. Okay, so blockchain um, is the infrastructure that's needed to have a cashless society. Um, it basically is a, a computer uh, algorithm uh, or system that is designed to help all these electronic currency transactions to, to occur. Um, if you've ever listened to, uh, in recent years, people talk about Bitcoin and some of the cryptocurrencies, as it's called. Uh, those are That's the function or the backbone of that, those systems is a blockchain system. Right. But blockchain has many other uses. I mean, it can be used in several industries. Uh, even for, for me, I'm in the pharmaceutical industry, and there's potential to use blockchain for pharmaceutical pedigree for us to be able to track, you know, where a drug's been so mm-hmm. that we know that it's the right drug, you know, and it hasn't been adulterated or, 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 or messed with. Um, same can be said for supply chain. You know, if you're trying to track uh, cargo shipments and you want to make sure that it's getting from point A to point B, blockchain can all be used for that. But the, the point here is the fact that people are investing heavily mm. in blockchain technology. Right. To give you a couple of, of uh, names out there, Google, uh, Apple, uh, Facebook, um, uh, uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, MasterCard, uh, even Warren Buffett himself are dumping billions of dollars of investment into blockchain in the last mm. couple of years. Right. If uh, any of you were investing, I like to play in that sector sometime. If you go and look at blockchain stocks, many of those are trading at 52 weeks highs this past week alone. My goodness. Um, but there's just been this rampant takeoff of money being dumped into this. And, and the call is that the pandemic has has shown that we need to to move forward with a more electronic society, a more cashless society, and for us to get there, we have to have the infrastructure in place. And blockchain right. very well could be that infrastructure. Again, why I feel that's important is because again, up until now, no one's had the ability to completely control the economy or currency in order to say I'm going to control what you buy or sell. Right. But with everything moving into a blockchain platform, mm-hmm. it's very possible that you will have one person or one entity that will control the entire economy of the world mm-hmm. um, and would be able to shut people on and off um, mm-hmm. and be able to shut countries on and off or even individuals on and off. So um, it's just a, an interesting uh, technology, has great potential to be used for good, but there's a whole lot of potential that could be used for bad in this case. You know, uh, we hear talk about the council uh, culture. Mm-hmm. If the person in power, and of course we're thinking about in the future, the Antichrist, he doesn't like uh, what you stand for. He cuts you off, just like we've got people today that if they're not in support of a certain party, the party that's in yeah. control says, well, we're going to punish you. Yeah. We're going to counsel you. You know, that's that's a great thought. I, I, you know, council culture has a meaning today, but the Antichrist is going to take that to a new level. He's going to take it to a new level. Uh, yeah. Ca- council culture is going to be legit when the Antichrist is here and he's able to to use, again, I think, technology at his disposal to to turn on and off your ability to do things. Right. Um, now, I know many of you are, are, are thinking that uh, 
well, this is a little far-fetched and, and, and it's out there, but I would just ask you to go back and kind of do some some research. Uh, there's definitely, the world seems to be moving in that that motion. We talked about the Great Reset um, uh, several episodes ago mm-hmm. that some of the, the world's elites are calling for. Part of that reset is to have one currency, uh, to have a digital currency, to have a cashless society or some of the things that they are proponents of. And um, that seems to be gaining speed as we move toward uh, the end of time. So I think it's there. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what about uh, chips and barcodes? Um, and again, I, I'm not saying that those can't be used. I think it's all it's very possible that those will be used as part of the Antichrist control of your ability to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very possible that it could be a chip that's, that's implanted uh, on your hand or on your forehead mm-hmm. uh, that, that allows you to, to, to purchase. Um, you know, I think about your, your debit cards. Uh, Dad, I don't know you really don't use a debit card, but for all of our mm-hmm. debit card users out there uh, who are listening, you'll notice that there's been a major trend over the last few years to move away from magnetic strip, which is that black stripe that's on the back of your card, mm-hmm. over to a smart card that has a chip in it. That's right. Yeah. There's no longer a need to swipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to, to place that chip in proximity of a reader and you're able to to conduct your transaction. It is very convenient, but you could see there the application of how that small little chip that's on the card, you really don't need all that plastic of the card. All you need is that little tiny square. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, how that could be you know, placed or uh, inserted uh, in, in someone in order to be the form of payment. And again, that could be turned on and off by use of this global uh, economic system that would be driven by the, the blockchain technology that's coming out right now. Hey, we're getting used to the idea of having a chip inserted. I mean, Sadie, your family dog, <laughs> yeah. has got a chip. Yeah, uh, right. family dog has got a chip. And, you know, I think there was a uh, big news broke. Um, I believe it was last year, it may have been 2019, that there was an employer uh, somewhere up north and, and uh, was offering to chip their employees mm-hmm. um, so that they could access the building. So instead of having to wear, you know, a badge that has a, a proximity card that you scan to get into the building, that, that you could insert a chip and that way they just put their hand on the door and the door would unlock. Right. Uh, that chip was also going to allow them to use the vending machines in the in uh, the cafeteria area, the the break room. It was going to be allowed to to use uh, to pay for things inside the the company and, and such. And so that made a lot of wave. Uh, you know, when that came out, that oh, here, here's an example of right. human insertable um, chips. And it's so it's definitely out there. The technology is there. Um, I, we can't say, you know, the Bible doesn't say that that's going to happen, but it's you can definitely see that these these technologies are going to be the, the kind of the gateway that allows the Antichrist to achieve something that, you know, no one else has been able to achieve. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you may say, well, what about barcodes? Well, uh, that's possible as well. So mm-hmm. it could be a barcode. Um you know, there are multiple types of barcodes. It's amazing. We were talking just before we got on the, the podcast today, Dad, about uh, a QR code. Mm-hmm. A QR code's a barcode, but it allows you to store a, just a multitude of information in a tiny little square. Right. And so it's very possible that maybe it's some type of barcode that's, uh, you know, tattooed onto a person or applied to a person that has the information that says, I'm a, a member of the Antichrist party, if you will, and allows mm-hmm. them to, to buy and trade. Uh, there's 2D barcodes and data matrix barcodes, all these things that have been developed in recent years, and you can see the application there. So I want to just be clear as we're, we're talking through these things. You know, we've kind of departed from the scripture, uh, you know, in, in this conversation because these are all things we're just speculating about. Right. We don't really know. Um, but we we can speak to you know certain truths that we know. We know it's going to be um, on, on the hand or the forehead. We know that it's going to be a sign of allegiance and loyalty, and we know that it's going to be used for commerce. Those are the certain things that we know, and we know that ultimately the Antichrist is going to have the control. And so uh, 
you know, where all the other pieces fall in, whether it's chips or barcodes or, or insertables or any of those things, we don't, we really don't know, but we can definitely see um, that that uh, could be uh, kind of coming in the future. You know, uh, 50 years ago, uh, we wouldn't be having a conversation like like this, how one person could control the economy of the world. Yeah. Uh, but now it is possible, and that's why we think even more that we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's the 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 potential, potential. Th- that exists mm-hmm. is, is probably the thing that tells us that we're getting closer uh, to the end of time than mm-hmm. anything. Because, again, uh, that a Roman emperor— uh, a thousand years ago, uh, could have never controlled the economy completely because, again, there was just so many ways for someone to skirt around that. Um, But if everything's a digital technology and someone can literally push a button and say, you know, these people are eligible, these are not, then it makes it so much more feasible for that to occur. And, you know, a chip could also be used to track people. Yeah. Could track people. And you think about an invasion of privacy Boy, that is really coming one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. And so um, the thing to remember about the Mark of the Beast is, is again, it is a, um, it's a choice that's going to be given to people. And, and the choice is take the mark or, or really to die. Um, because if you're not willing to worship the beast, it says clearly there in, in Revelation 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verse 16, that you know, those who don't worship will be killed. Um, and if you happen to be able to get away, well, you're not going to be able to to purchase food or to purchase anything to to survive. Right. And so, uh, unfortunately, those who, uh, who who don't go the way that way will ultimately lose their life. And you know, when it comes time for the mark of the beast to take the mark of the beast or not to take the mark of the beast, people are going to know what yeah. they're doing. People worry today because they don't understand the scriptures, and they think, well, maybe we're in the tribulation, mm-hmm. and I, I have inadvertently taken the mark, or maybe yeah. I will one day, and I'll be damned. Listen, you're going to know yeah. what this mark stands for. Yeah, exactly. And, Dad, while you said that, you know, I wanted to talk about quickly what the mark is not, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing is, is if you uh, just do a simple web search for mark of beast, you will find some of the wildest things out there of, of people saying that this or that is the mark of the beast. And, you know, probably the, the thing that's been most prevalent over the last um, few months is, of course, been the COVID-19 vaccine. Right. right? And um, there is a, a group or a camp of believe that the COVID-19 vaccine is the mark of the beast. And um, I think it's unfortunate uh, that that's, that's been the case. I mean, obviously, I'm not here to, to substantiate one way or the other whether you should or should not get the vaccine, but I, I just think that that's a, an improper use of, of the scripture uh, to, to, to kind of label that as the mark of the beast. As you said, we believe in a, a pre-tribulation, a rapture of the church. And so mm-hmm. if you're a Christian and a believer, when we're talking through really what we've been talking to for the last few episodes, we're not here. Right, right. We're we, we're gone. These these are events that are happening on Earth, and we are uh, in heaven uh, with the heavenly Father, uh, safe and sound. And so, um, the mark of the beast won't come until we're gone. Um, right. And obviously, the mark of the beast will not come until there is a known antichrist. Right. We mm-hmm. we see here. It's very clear in the scripture that at that point. Um, there's no, there's not going to be any speculation of who the Antichrist is. Uh, it's going to be very clear who he is, um, and it's going to be at that point where everyone's called to worship him, and and it's take the mark or die, um, and and that's really not the situation that we're in with with the COVID nineteen vaccine. Now, with that being said, um, I got my second dose yesterday. Yeah, and um, you know I went over to uh, an abandoned Kmart over in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, which is where the vaccines were being administered, and. 
I have to say it is an eerie feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as I stood there in line, uh, I'm you know healthcare provider, so I'm in the first group that gets a vaccine. Um, I don't do direct patient care uh, in, anymore, and so I let most of my colleagues go first uh, and kind of came in there at the end. So I'm there with largely the the 65 and older crowd mm-hmm. uh, getting their vaccine. So I'm the youngest guy in line, but it's just an eerie feeling to see all of these people just standing in this long line. Uh, waiting to get vaccine and just this mass effort. And as I was standing there and obviously thinking about what we're going to be talking about in the podcast today, you know, I couldn't help but think, I was like, man, is this what it's going to be like? Right. You know, when when that time does come, you know, that everyone's got to flock to the center in order to be branded or marked or tattooed or uh, have something inserted in order to to receive the mark. It definitely is an eerie feeling. Uh, It was, it was one of those things where I was like, I, I, I can definitely see where people would, have the correlation, um, but but that's not the case. Uh, we want to make sure that everyone's clear on the on the scriptural context here. Is that uh, if you're a Bible believing, uh, born again Christian, when the mark of the beast comes around, you're not going to be here. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so that's the that's the mark of the beast, and and uh, that's going to be kind of one of the first events as we get into the second half of the tribulation. And uh, the next event that we're going to talk about is the trumpets. Um, and so the Revelation talks about that there's going to be three sets of judgments. We've already talked about the one set, right? We mm-hmm. talked about uh, the seal judgment, and that was in the first half of the tribulation. Um, the second uh, set of judgment is going to be the trumpet judgment, which we're getting ready to talk about now. And then the last is going to be the the bowl or the vial uh, judgment that's going to occur. And so we're going to move in now and talk about these uh, trumpet judgments. Now, when we were covering the seal judgment, when we went to the very last seal, the seventh seal, mm-hmm. um, I, I read through that and I said, we'll come back and talk about this a little bit more. It's that seventh seal that was broken that really introduces the the trumpet judgment. Mm-hmm. And so we see in Revelation, we'll be in Revelation chapter 8, uh, where we'll be looking at um, the events here of the, the trumpet judgment. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that occurs is there's, there's silence uh, for about 30 minutes in heaven. Mm-hmm. And during this silent period, uh, many have uh, kind of wondered what's happening here. Is it is it just awe? Is it shock uh, of what's occurred? Uh, is it mourning? Maybe so um, for what's happening. But there's a series of events that happens here as the angels come and the angels are presented with their seven trumpets. And those seven trumpets represent um, a, a wrath of God that's going to come. And so, Dad, if you will, walk us through the seven trumpets. Well, you know, you mentioned about the silence just before the trumpets are blown, and this silence in heaven is really the lull before the storm, for God's intensified judgments are about to be hurled to this earth. Now, I want to go back and mention this to you. The seven trumpet judgments do not follow the seventh seal. They are the seventh seal. Let me illustrate how this can be. Have you ever seen a telescope? Most have three sections. One section fits inside another. To open it, you pull one section out at a time. The trumpet judgments that we're going to begin studying, in a sense, come out from or begin with the breaking of the seventh seal. Now, the first trumpet judgment is told about in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 8. And so I'm going to read verse 7 of chapter 8. It says, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now this may describe volcanoes erupting around the world that could certainly result from the earthquake told about in verse 5. 
the previous verse, that will happen when an angel throws the censer filled with fire from the altar to the earth. The steam and water thrown into the sky by such eruptions could easily condense into hell and fall to earth along with fiery lava. Dust and gases may so contaminate falling liquid water that it appears blood red. Now, many people... Matt, vacation each year at Yellowstone National Park. I've never been there. I'd like to go sometime. But did you know that concealed beneath the park rests the largest supervolcano in North America? Now, what if this supervolcano were to erupt? Science writer Brian Walsh explored the subject in frightening detail in his book, End Times, A Brief Guide to the End of the World. As he described, if the volcano underneath Yellowstone were to erupt, Yellowstone National Park would literally be erased from the face of the continent. In describing what would take place, he wrote, First would come a swarm of increasingly intense earthquakes, a sign that magma was rushing toward the surface. The pressure would build until, like a champagne In a bottle, given a vigorous shake, the magna would burst through the ground in a titanic eruption that would discharge the toxic innards of the earth to the air. It would continue for days, burying Yellowstone and lava within a 40-mile radius of the eruption. The devastation, however, would not be restricted to the local environment. Yellowstone's plume of ash, lava, and volcanic gases would reach a height of 15 miles or more and from this lofty position be blown across North America. Ash would darken the skies and blanket the ground from coast to coast, with up to three feet of ash falling in the northern Rockies and a few inches over much of the Midwest. Citizens might be mildly amused at first at the black snow, but they'd soon realize the danger it presents. Walsh painted a bleak picture. He said hospitals would be choked with victims coughing up blood as the uh, silicate and the ash slashed at their lungs. The heavy ash would collapse roofs, contaminate water supplies, down power lines, prevent air travel, and perhaps even take out electrical transformers, bringing the nation's power grid to its knees. Worse still, ashfall would likely wipe out the Midwest corn, crop and sowing means should the eruption occur during the growth season. Much of America's rich farmland might also be poisoned for a generation. Combine this with a likely worldwide volcanic winter in which global average temperatures would plunge as much as 18 degrees Fahrenheit for a decade, and you have a recipe for a global starvation event that could endanger hundreds of millions of people. Now, such an eruption would be the first truly continental-scale disaster. Walsh said, in every past catastrophe, hurricanes, and we know we've had them, we live in the southeast, earthquakes and floods, most of the United States remained untouched, which meant safe parts could divert aid to and take in refugees from affected regions. But no corner of the continental U.S. would be exempt from the effects of a supervolcano. Now, earthquakes causing volcanoes to erupt will happen 
on more than one occasion during the tribulation. As a matter of fact, the breaking of the sixth seal that we talked about the last time we did a podcast results in a major earthquake that will trigger volcanoes. Now, whatever the cause of the hail and fire mingle with blood that follows the blowing of the first trumpet, the result of the blowing of this trumpet is botanical scarcity. For the Bible says that with the blowing of this trumpet, one-third of all vegetation, talking about trees, will be destroyed as a result of the desolation. It is interesting that many of the judgments described in the book of Revelation happened on a smaller scale in Egypt during the ten plagues. The first trumpet judgment is very similar to the seventh plague God sent upon Egypt. Exodus 9, 23 through 25 tells us about it. The Bible says, And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Like with the seventh plague in Egypt, the first trumpet judgment results in botanical scarcity. The second trumpet judgment is told about in verses 8 and 9. Now I'm going to read that it says then the angel sounded sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed the result of the blowing of this trumpet is a boiling sea now what appears to john to be a massive mountain burning with fire could be a giant burning meteorite or asteroid crashing into the sea, causing tsunamis. It could also be a nuclear missile crash, crashing into the sea. Now, as a result of this major catastrophe, John tells us that one-third of all the fish and other sea creatures will die, turning one-third of the ocean into blood. Now, the ocean turning to blood could come from something referred to today as red tides, caused by billions of dead microorganisms poisoning the water, or it could be actual blood. In addition to one-third of all the fish and, and the sea creatures dying, John says one-third of the ships will be destroyed, therefore affecting commerce. Now, immediately after the second trumpet, the third angel will sound. Now, Matt, could you read for us verses 10 and 11? Yeah, verses 10 and 11 says, Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers, and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water, because it was made bitter. Well, here a heavenly object like an asteroid or comet soaring through space, approaches the earth and either crashes into the earth or just sweeps along the surface. Now, according to the scripture, as Matt read, it turns one-third of the water in the earth into deadly poisonous liquid, causing many that drink it to die. Now, according to verse 11, the name of the comet or asteroid that burns like a torch as it enters earth's atmosphere is Wormwood. 
Wormwood is the name of a bitter-tasting plant that's found in Palestine that is poisonous in large amounts. It is interesting that scientists today believe that the dark crust of Halley's Comet, perhaps the most famous comet, consists of hydrogen cyanide polymers. Hydrogen cyanide is an extremely poisonous liquid, and at higher temperatures, it is a poisonous gas. It has a bitter almond smell. During World War I, it was used as a chemical weapon. Considering that a comet hitting the earth or grazing the earth would emit hydrogen cyanide, it is understandable that the comet would poison our drinking water. Many people will die from the water made bitter by this divine judgment. Well, following on the heels of the third trumpet judgment, the fourth angel sounds his trumpet. Matt, read for us verse 12. Verse 12 reads, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of them did not shine, and likewise the night. Well, on the fourth day of creation, as you know, God brought the sun, moon, and stars into view to provide light for man. Under the fourth trumpet judgment, he will withdraw the light and there will be a blackened sky. The diminishing of sunlight, moonlight, and starlight may be due to thousands of tons of dust from the large comet or asteroid strike associated with the second and third trumpet judgments. Volcanoes will also be spewing debris into the atmosphere. All of this will lower the global temperature, and with a third of the trees already having been destroyed, there will be less firewood to keep people warm. So these first four trumpets bring botanical scarcity, a boiling sea, a bitter star, and a blackened sky. Well, finally, I want you to to see what verse 13 has to say. Well, really, we'll read a few more verses, but read verse 13 for us, Matt. All right, and it says, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels uh, who are about to sound. All right. Well, this verse says that angels fly through the heaven proclaiming, as you said, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Apparently, the coming judgments are going to be so severe that terrors of them demand prior warning. And that's hard to believe, right, Dad? Because, I mean, if you just think about the the first uh, four that you went through, Mm -hmm. those are pretty terrible. Terrible. uh, Terrible things to occur. And and, and to say that you have to have a warning in order to uh, talk about the next coming, I mean, that's just, it's unbelievable. It's hard to believe. one of the things, Dad, I was thinking about when we look at those first few trumpets, uh, particularly when you're talking about volcanoes. You know, you and I have been into a volcano. Uh, we, we went to a volcano down in Nicaragua when That's we were right. there for a mission trip. And um, as I read the the scriptures and listening to you talk, I, I, I thought about that volcano because mm-hmm. a couple of things came to mind. One, as we drove up to the volcano, there was no vegetation around. Uh-huh. You didn't see trees. You didn't see plants. It's all just kind of 
ash and soot and sand. And it smelled. And it smelled. Yeah, when we got out, it was it was hard to breathe because like there was so, so much sulfur smell coming yeah. out of there. And I remember people talking about, well, plants couldn't grow because of the high sulfur and, and also hydrochloric acid concentration of the soil or the, the sand and, and, and uh, volcanic sand that was there. And so it's very possible that what you're saying there, the volcanoes could be what's taking it out. The place that we were working uh, during that mission trip, if you'll recall, mm-hmm. remember it was about six inches, eight inches, 10 inches, I don't know, of just volcanic ash that we were working in right. at the job site. And if you'll recall, there was no grass. Right. There was nothing green around. It was just this ash. Nothing could grow in it uh, because of, of the toxic level of chemicals that were in there from volcanoes. So I, I thought about that uh, when we were, were talking about these trumpets. But it's just amazing um, here the, the the desolation and the destruction that's going to occur as we see a third, a third, a third being wiped out. So, Dad, tell us about the rest of those uh, trumpets. Well, you know, the warning, wonder why the angel would give a warning. Well, perhaps warning those that are on the verge of repentance that they will seek God's face before it's too late. Well, these first four trumpets, as bad as they are, are not nearly as severe as as the remaining trumpet judgments that's going to follow. They're going to be, as we said, much worse. They're called the woe judgments. Now, the result of these judgments will help you to understand what the phrase hell on earth really means because God in his permissive will will allow demons to rule the world. And I'm talking about a group of demons that the people of this world have never known about. I'll tell you what, I hate the devil. He seems to be always on my case and after me. Mm. And uh, But just to think, we haven't seen demons as wicked as the demons that's going to be let loose upon the earth during that time. Well, let's look here at, at verse 1. Could you read verse 1 for us, Matt? Verse 1 of chapter 9 says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven, and to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. That's right. At the sound of the fifth trumpet, John says, I saw a star fall from heaven. Now, a more literal translation is, I saw a star from heaven which had fallen. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is the unnamed personality here. John is in symbolic language, is referring to a person when he said that he saw a star from heaven which had fallen. This is made clear in his usage of the masculine uh, pronouns him and he in referring to the star. Note John said, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And in verse 2, the Bible goes on to tell us that he opened the bottomless pit. John doesn't name this person he was referring to, but from the description he gives, we must conclude that this star is the devil. John did not see him fall from heaven. He had already fallen. Jesus said to his 70 disciples over in Luke ten eighteen, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Most serious Bible students conclude that Satan was once Lucifer, one of God's angels of presence, but being near to the throne of God caused him to envy God and want to be on the throne. And as a result, he rebelled against God, and he and the other angels who rebelled were cast out of heaven. The other angels who were cast out became demons. Isaiah fourteen twelve describes the fall. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. If we are interpreting Scripture 
reference, with Scripture reference, then there seems to be little doubt that the star John refers to in verse 1 of chapter 9, this unnamed personality is Satan. Now I want you to see the unveiled pit. Uh, Look at verse 2. Read verse 2 for us, Matt. Yeah, verse 2 says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Satan is given the key to the bottomless pit and permission to open the pit. We learn from Luke's account of our Lord's visit to the country of the Gadarenes that the pit or the abyss was dreaded by demons. It was one place they feared to go. Some of the worst demons who would inflict Terrible harm on man has been kept in the abyss. Jude, verse 6 says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he, meaning God, has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. These terrible demons are confined to this bottomless pit. And in verse 2, Jesus, who has authority over the abyss, gives Satan the key. Why? so he could unloose these demons. There's coming a day when God will remove all restraints and this prison house of demons will be open to inflict torment on unrepentant man. We've looked at the unnamed personality and the unveiled pit, but now look at the unprecedented punishment. This is told about in verses 2 through 6. As soon as the pit is open, which is located in the lower parts of the earth, a cloud, as you read, Matt, of obnoxious smoke is emitted. Another proof that hell is a place of fire, because along with fire goes smoke. The smoke in hell has been trapped up for ages, and now it comes rolling out. It's so thick it hides the sun from view. And out of the darkness comes demons to do their fearful work of tormenting souls. Read verses 3 through 6 for us, Matt. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only to harm men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given the authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of scorpions when they strike a man. In those days, men will seek death and will find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Out of the abyss, as Matt read, is seen a host of locusts. Now, these are not ordinary locusts, such as plagued Egypt. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27 says that locusts have no king. These locusts have a king, according to verse 11. The name of their king in both languages means destroyer. Most likely, Satan again is referred to here. You see, the purpose of Satan is to destroy, but the purpose of Christ is to save. I believe the name is given in both Hebrew and Greek to indicate that the judgment will come on both Jews and Gentiles. Now, We'll look at two things about them. First, their duty. Their duty was twofold, to serve their king and to vex souls of men. Now, in the Middle East, swarms of locusts have swarmed like great 
clouds and blotted out the light of the sun and moon. They devour every bit of plant life in their path like an army, every blade of grass, every flower in the field, every seed and stalk of grain, sometimes even stripping the bark from trees. The worst locust plague in modern times struck the Middle East from 1951 to 1952 when in Iran, Iraq, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia, every green and growing thing was devoured across hundreds and thousands of square miles. But these locust-like demons will not feed upon green things. Their appetite is for men, and it is so voracious that they will have to be divinely restrained and forbidden to touch those who God has sealed. And look at the last part of verse 4. Can you read the last part of verse 4 to us, Matt? Yeah, I'm just going to read the whole verse of verse okay. 4. It says, uh, They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, we have not talked about this yet, but Revelation teaches that during the tribulation, God is going to seal 144,000 Jews. Now, obviously, they're going to be Jewish Christians because they're going to come to know the Lord. More than likely, they'll have an experience like the uh, Apostle Paul, who before he became a Christian, known as Saul of Tarsus, was going to Damascus with letters in hand to have the Christians in Damascus arrested. And, and Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus saved Paul and commissioned him and and gave him a job, and that was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, these 144,000 uh, Jewish men that's going to be set aside, like the Apostle Paul, their mission is going to be primarily to the Jews, but also the, to the Gentiles around the world. And God's going to set his seal upon them so that they cannot be harmed uh, by the judgment, so that they can be alive to proclaim the gospel worldwide. I personally believe that those that become Christians during the tribulation, God is going to set his seal upon them too. They will not be harmed by these demons, but all those that do not have the seal of God on them, while the demons have authority to wreak havoc in their lives, they will prey upon those that are unregenerate, godless, and Christ-rejecting. Now, according to the last part of verse 3, they're given power, as Matt said, as scorpions of the earth have power. They will inflict pain and torment as the scorpion does when he stings. Five months from May to September is the natural life of a locust. The sting of these locust-like demons will produce the most intolerable anguish of mind and spirit. Look at verse 6. Read that to us again, Matt. Yeah, verse 6 is a really tough one. It says, In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. According to this verse, the agony these demon-like locusts will produce will be so great that men who normally flee from death will scream for death to come to end their miseries. Yet those who are tormented cannot die. It will be hell on earth. Now, so far, we've examined their duty, the duty of these locust-like demons to serve their king, to vex the souls of men. But now let's look at their description. Read verses 7 through 10 for us. All right. It says, The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had the breastplate 
like the breastplate of iron, and the sounds of their wings was like the sounds of chariots with horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their stings and their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. Picture a team of mighty horses pawing the ground, snorting in fury, and covered with armor. Think of their ability to gallop quickly in a battle. Now picture yourself standing in front of them and trying to stop them. No amount of money will be able to do it. The the military cannot help, and even medicine will not work. Satan is always, it mentions about having a crown. Satan has always wanted to wear a crown. The world said to Jesus, we don't want you to rule over us. Now Satan, his demons are going to rule. It's going to be a reign of terror. Now, the last part of verse 7, I want to go back and read that for you again. It says, and on their head were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. Now, this is a symbolic way of telling us that these fiends are highly intelligent. Their own salt against the human race is the result, not a blind instinct, but a rational thought. And then in verse 8, I want to read it again. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. A woman's hair is a symbol of seduction. God has given women their hair for their glory. And it's a beautiful thing, but these demons use their seductiveness as a trap. In many ways, they will seem alluring, but they will have the teeth of lions. And this is a picture of Satan where the Bible describes him as a roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he may devour. These demons will be hideously beautiful and brilliantly deceptive. These demons will be wearing impenetrable armor so that the groans, cries, and shrieks of their victims will be meaningless to them. They will not be moved from their course of action. As a matter of fact, the last part of verse 9 goes on to say, like the sound of the chariots and many horses running into battle, they will travel like the wind flying swiftly to get their prey. Now, who can escape Who can escape, and who can flee? Nobody will be able to. And that is the first woe. Now, the second woe judgment is told about in verses 13 and following. Matt, could you read that for us today? Yeah, verse 13 says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which was before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill one-third of mankind. Okay. Well, when you talked about the release of the four angels uh, at the great river Euphrates, now right there at the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in Iraq today, that was, that was where civilization dawned. Obviously, somewhere in the near vicinity was where the Garden of Eden was. And, you know, Satan invi- in, invaded that garden. The Euphrates was one of four rivers that flowed through the Garden of Eden. It was the longest river of Western Asia, or it is still today. In many cities, including Ur, where Abraham came from, and Babylon were located on it. And the region has given birth to many pagan and idolatrous religions. Well, in this sixth trumpet judgment, 
fallen angels bound at the Euphrates are released. And we know that these four angels are fallen, for no holy angel of God is ever bound as these angels are. And adding to this, uh, to the one-fourth of those who were killed as a result of the fourth seal judgment, about half of the world's population is going to be killed as a result now of what these angels are going to do. And they're going to mount some troops together that's going to number 200 million. And that's an incalculably large army. Now, many people feel like that that this army of 200 million, it refers to what is told about in Revelation chapter 16, when the kings of the east, perhaps that of China and Japan and Korea and all of these eastern nations come together to form a mighty army to march against Jerusalem, to fight against God and the Antichrist and his army. But I don't believe that this is referring to that great army that's told about that the kings of the east will muster because it does not fit in the timeline. Well, anyway, this is going to be a demonic army a demonic army that's going to wreak havoc upon the earth. Now, I want you to notice at verse 20, you would think that people, after going through these terrible calamities, already the first two woe judgments, that they would repent of their sin, they would humble themselves and come to know God, but they don't. The Bible tells us, but the rest of mankind, verse 20 says, were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Can you believe it, Matt? All of this judgment, God showing his power, and the wicked people on earth would not repent. Not repent and, yeah. and listen to what they won't repent of. It says they won't repent of their murders. Think of how many murders uh, are we hear about on the news. It mm-hmm. used to be, I thought about until COVID-19 came around and the election, all that was ever talked about other than the weather was the murders around here. Yep. You know, And it says they won't repent of their sorceries. That comes from a a Greek word, the word translates sorcery, is pharmakai, and you know what that word comes from. We have the word pharmacy, pharmacy today. Yeah. They're not going to repent of their drug use. Think about the drug use today. They won't repent of their sexual immorality or the thefts. It's amazing that God would bring judgment. You would think people would acknowledge the almighty, awesome God and come into repentance, but they don't. But you know what? Even today, uh, people hear sermons and messages that, yes, God loves you. God has provided for the forgiveness of your sin through the death of his son, Jesus. If you would repent and come to him, knowing that they could repent, turn to God and be forgiven, people today walk out of uh, services like where I preach the gospel, unrepentant, and go out right again and commit the same mm-hmm. sins. Yeah, You know, and some people have a hard time understanding, Dad, that... Um, you know, they say, well, if God's love, how how could this amount of terror and uh, just just torment be poured out upon people, right? But it's it's really the answer is in that verse right there. God's a holy God. God's a just God, uh, and he he can't uh, deal with sin. He can't he can't. Right. He, there's no other recourse than than that. It's not his will that all of these people uh, go through torment. He would rather have everyone accept his his free gift of salvation. Right. But it's just this continual not willingness to to turn from the wicked behavior, which leads to no other recourse. 
You know, I, I, I strongly believe uh, that, that God really doesn't want anyone to, to suffer what we're seeing here in Revelations. Um, but the fact of the matter is there's going to be people that just don't don't repent. That's exactly and don't right. Turn and, and don't even though we've talked about what all these signs that are going to be given. Uh, and just think about the, the seeing a, a mountain on fire coming from the heavens, right? right. Like a comet or asteroid. I mean, you think after a while they say something's wrong here and that we need to do something different. But uh, people are just so entrenched into the sin, and the, the devil has such a hold on them that they won't turn from it. So that's very right. sad, very yeah. sad. They didn't respond to his love, him loving them enough to send his son to die for them, to, to pay the penalty for their sins, and they're not even responding to judgment. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dad, we are um, well past time, and so uh, for our uh, audience here, we'll, we're trying to keep um, uh, these a little bit shorter, but we do have just a whole lot of content that we're trying to cover, and we need to, to cover it in justice. And so uh, we're going to begin to close out our, our uh, podcast today. Um, but, you know, I, I can't close the podcast out without giving people an opportunity to say, you know, we're talking about terrible bad things uh, that are going to occur uh, there at the end of the time, but there is a way out and that is through um, accepting the gift of, of salvation. Uh, you know, when Jesus went to the cross and he bled and he died, uh, he died for the sins of all mankind, those before him and those that would come after him. That means he died for you. And uh, all you have to do is accept that free gift of salvation and, and do exactly what these people could not do, and that's turn from the sins, repent from the sins, turn away right. from them, go in a different direction, and, um, and then you will be saved. And uh, you won't have to worry about any of this. Uh, you'll you'll be uh, raptured out with the rest of us, and we'll be safe and sound in, in heaven. And unfortunately, while the wrath of God is poured out upon those who don't take this opportunity that we're giving you right now uh, to make that decision. So I would encourage you to think about that. Um, if you haven't made a decision for Christ, I'd encourage you to do it today. Uh, we're not guaranteed uh, tomorrow, so don't say that you'll do it next week or you'll do it some other time. And don't listen to the lies of the devil. The devil will tell you that you got to get yourself cleaned up to come to Jesus, but you ain't got to get yourself cleaned up to come to Jesus. You can come just like you are. Uh, that's the way he wants you. you. You bring all of that baggage, all of that junk, and you just drop it at his feet, and he'll take care of it. So, um, Dad, if you will, pray us out of here. Sure. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing Matt and I to discuss the trumpet judgments and, Lord, the trademark. Uh, what what Satan will use to mark those that serve him. Now, our Heavenly Father, I'm glad that today I bear the trademark of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was given to me as a seal, and Lord, he lives within me, and I hope that he could be seen through me. There are a lot of people perhaps listening to this podcast today. They have not turned from their sins and asked Jesus to forgive them and responded to his love and committed their life to live for Jesus, turning from their sins. I pray, Lord, that they will do that today. They'll just look up and ask you for forgiveness, pledge their life to serve you, Lord, and ask you to live in their heart. Uh, so, God, that they can have the seal of God placed on them. I'm not worried about getting the seal of the Antichrist because I've already got the seal of God. And I pray, Lord, that those that are listening to the podcast today that have not made a decision to trust Christ would do so. And then, Lord, I pray for those Christians that have just become uh, lazy and have not been getting out witnessing. They've got family members. They've got uh sons and daughters and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and 
cousins and uncles and aunts, people that don't know God, Lord, help them to realize that if Jesus comes back today, these things that we've been talking about through this podcast on the end times, and especially today, their loved ones is going to remain on earth, it's going to go through it. God help them to do diligence and to try to reach them for Jesus and to beg and implore them to turn to Christ and be saved. We ask all this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.